Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and I am also embarrassed. I totally did not realize this season I was supposed to have 22 episodes. Uh, So I apologize for that in advance. We're going to do something a little different today. might be a touch of a longer episode than normal, but uh, I have already finished my series on road signs. And I didn't really want to try to fit in another uh, lesson on that subject matter. So, we're going to discuss a paper that I had to write for my Master's of Divinity that I'm getting through Amherst University on will there be an Antichrist at the end times. Now, those of you that might be listening from my Somerville days, you know that the subject of what we call premillennialism is one of my favorites to study. And so as we think about this subject matter, we're talking about a figure that is expected to rise at the end of time, close to at the very least, and he will basically wreak havoc. And we're going to do exactly what the paper asked me to do, which is we're going to look at the claims from other people first, and we're going to close it out with what the Scriptures teach. So, if you hear something that sounds different than what you would be expecting, wait until the very end for me, okay? Just wait until the very end, um, because I promise you it will be worth the wait. So, let's begin. Perhaps one of the most controversial and often critiqued subjects of Scripture is that of the Antichrist. If you were to do a Google search on the subject, you would find 17.7 million results to ponder from Wikipedia all the way to PBS. The New Oxford Dictionary states that the Antichrist is a personal opponent of Christ expected to appear before the end of the world. The name alone begs a dive into who this Antichrist is, what goal or purpose they hope to accomplish, and also to note what the scriptures teach about this individual and how they be need to be prepared to face him. So let's give some various claims of the Antichrist. Debates have been conducted on the issues of numerous doctrinal positions over the years, and however, you could say that few subjects can yield so many differing opinions than that of the Antichrist. Even Hollywood entered the discussion with their own take on the subject in the 2009 uh, movie entitled The Antichrist, starring Willem Dafoe, and Charlotte Gainsbourg. With such a polarizing figure, there could be countless books dedicated to who this individual could be. Therefore, it is prudent to note some erroneous and even baffling claims. Let's give some of those erroneous claims. Among the claims that have been made throughout the years of certain individuals who could not hope to be the Antichrist, for example, notorious men have often been equated to being the Antichrist. Number one is Antiochus Epiphanes. He's attributed to having fulfilled many prophecies of the Antichrist, but he was one of the very few quote-unquote pre-Christ candidates that scholars agreed as being a type, not the Antichrist, but a sort of a precursor to what would come. Number two would be the Roman Emperor Nero. He was considered to be one of the greatest examples to fulfill the role of Antichrist. He murdered Christians, members of his own family, And when he discovered the Senate of Rome plotting against him, he committed suicide, poisoning himself. Number three is the Pope. 
nearly every pope has found themselves to be suggested to be the Antichrist. Some believe that it is more likely to have suggested popes who lived during the Middle Ages than those who live today. Number four is Charlemagne. This man who lived from 742 to 814 AD and landed on such a list by trying to rebuild Rome's empire, a task which can only be accomplished by the real Antichrist, quote-unquote. He did not accomplish this goal and thus remains in many eyes as a type of the real McCoy. Number five is Napoleon. He was not known for his depravity as a man, nor did he try to persecute the church, and he even lacked several qualities that would have had to have been held in order for him to be the Antichrist. He wound up on this list for the same reason as Charlemagne and his desire to resurrect the Roman Empire. Alistair Crowley. This male witch lived in England from 1875 to 1947, and he was nicknamed the Beast and 666. There have been several rock and roll groups that have referenced them in their albums. Number seven is Benito Mussolini, a dictator of Italy, the original capital of the Roman Empire, who was supposed to have the arrogance of the Antichrist. He was ultimately embarrassed in the realm of his war prowess. He ended up needing Germany's assistance during World War II. Number eight is Adolf Hitler. Many would claim that this man is among the most evil to have ever lived, and according to some, he remains to be a severe warning of what the real, quote-unquote, Antichrist will be. Number nine is Joseph Stalin, another dictator that some claim to be the greatest mass murderer in history. He was attributed with killing 30 million people. What makes Stalin unique is that he killed his own citizens. Number 10 is Mikhail Gorbachev. Born with a unique birthmark, he had obvious connections to the Antichrist, according to some. Uh, For those who have been awaiting for the rise of the Antichrist, they will have to continue waiting. Gorbachev passed away on August 30th of 2022. Evidently, his birthmark was not a sign of what was to come. These 10 claims, among numerous others that could have been discussed, can all be considered erroneous because each of these men have died. Perhaps it could be argued, well, the Pope is still alive. Yes, that is true, but his political prowess that he promotes is nothing like the horrors pushed onto the Antichrist. While many have claimed these men or other leaders and dictators like them to be the one who will bring destruction upon all, none of these came true. Would one have to assume to look elsewhere to locate this monster waiting in the wings? What about some baffling claims about the Antichrist? Let's, let's get some claims that are just... Yikes. There can be understood missteps and erroneous claims, but the same cannot be said of the guesses that are just head-scratching. A distinct consideration must be made between prophecy and myopia. No doubt, some can spend all of their days and nights cracking the codes of the Antichrist. Let's again full scope of this subject. It is wise to notice some of the most mind-boggling claims. Number one, Ronald Wilson Reagan. During his tenure as president back in the 1980s, there was a discussion about the fact that his full name would spell out 666 if you were to take letters from each of his first middle, and last name. This is a baffling claim simply because of just how many people there are out there that could have six letters in all their names. 
What about those whose full name numerically added up to the number 13? If one's numerical name count could point to the Antichrist, the world would never be able to follow the sign of what's to come. Number two is John F. Kennedy. JFK was considered to be the Antichrist because in 1956's Democratic Convention, he received exactly 666 votes. In fact, when he died, people waited for his wound to heal as part of him being the Antichrist. This never happened, and yet again, another supposed Antichrist claim fell by the wayside. Number three is Bill Clinton. Some suggested that Clinton was Satan's pet, and several groups suggested that his full name, William Jefferson Clinton, could be numerically added up to 666. While the former president and his family have faced their fair share of scandals, nothing can truly suggest that he is the one waiting to overtake the world and challenge Jesus. Number four is Bill Gates. Back in 2016, Bill was supposed by some to be the Antichrist. And in fact, from 2020 to the present, he's widely been suggested to be this figure because of his desire to, quote-unquote, force the vaccinations upon people. Truth Network did an entire podcast on their show, The Christian Worldview, Think Biblically, Live Accordingly, about this very subject in May of 2020. They suggested that Bill's involvement in the vaccination game was able to be equated to that of the beast of Revelation 13. If one is to suppose that simply being in the vaccination game is all that it takes to become the Antichrist, then there are again numerous possibilities that muddy the waters for those of God's people who are on the lookout for this future villain. Number five, Barack Obama. The 44th president of the United States has also been named a person of interest, According to some reports, the daily pick three lottery numbers in Illinois, his home state, were 666 after his election. One Antichrist investigator suggests that Jesus even made a prophecy about Barack Obama with the Aramaic words Barack Obama, which had to be a reference to Barack Obama. Right. Number six, Prince Charles of Wales. Among the typical claim of the numerical value of his name... There was also a suggestion that Prince Charles would fit the claim of the Antichrist stopping animal sacrifices in the Jewish temple. Why? Well, because Prince Charles was a vegetarian. But again, this would condemn and compel any vegetarians to take up the mantle of the Antichrist. I think we need to keep looking. Number seven is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The president that was the one with the most absolute power because of the Great Depression was also said to have a name that numerically added up to 666. Number eight, Louis Farrakhan. He met with every Islamic dictator and called the Jewish faith a gutter religion. He also claimed that Jesus was just a prophet and that he himself, Louis, is the true Jesus. Number nine, Barney the Dinosaur. I know, I know, Barney the Dinosaur. Perhaps one of the more unique claims that made the rounds was that Barney the Dinosaur was the dragon in Revelation 12, 3, 13, 4, and 20 in verse 2. Um, my recollection is that Barney is a purple dinosaur and has no similarities to that of a dragon. Number 10, David Hasselhoff. Uh, this particular claim is more so of a take on just how far some will go to find the Antichrist. A man by the name of Warren Appel spent two full nights connecting the dots of the Antichrist to David Hasselhoff. One of his biggest reasons for including this actor was his name. 
if one were to rearrange the letters, they would get fat of devil's hash, and unfortunately, there are many out there who apply this same logic to several of the names on this list. Those ten claims can so quickly be dismissed, and yet for so many, there are those that would cling to each as if they were destined to be the Antichrist. One does not have to take a ton of time considering claims like those that boggle and baffle the mind. But what about scholarly claims? The purpose of studying a subject like the Antichrist so deeply is to learn the truth about such a sobering individual. There have been several books, articles, sermons, and lectures presented on who he will be and what the eventual plan will be. Scholarly consideration has been given on the Antichrist, and their deductions of him are as follows. Let's talk about some claims of the Antichrist. The first major claim about the Antichrist is that he will be one who is a satanically inspired Christ counterfeit. He, the beast, Revelation 13, 1-18, is clearly separate from the Lamb, Jesus, but receives worship from everyone saves God-elect. He is empowered by Satan to be the enemy of Christ and the church, performing false miracles, deceiving many to discourage people from worshiping the true God. He also is known to be a persecutor of God's people. That's the first major claim. He's a Christ counterfeit. A secondary claim is often made that he would be one that promotes himself to be the Christ, Matthew 24, 4-5, Mark 13, 5-6, and Luke 21, 8. A third claim is that this would be a political figure who advances not by their own power, but that of a supernatural power, Daniel 8, 23-25. His ultimate goal is to rise up to this position of power and abuse his status to tarnish this world with a great tribulation. Back in 2011, Patrick Heron wrote a book entitled Return of the Antichrist and the New World Order, which dealt with the wor- what the world is essentially going to have occur when the Antichrist rose to power. Speaking to those present-day attempts to advance the Great Tribulation, he wrote the following. Many of the movies and TV programs today are filled with gruesome and explicit and gratuitous violence and sex, as well as filthy and repulsive language. Thus, the human psyche becomes desensitized and inured to hardcore violence. This, I believe, is to prepare them for the bloodshed and inhumanity they will perpetrate during the Great Tribulation on their fellow human beings. Beside these overt, in-your-face attempts at brainwashing via Hollywood and etc., there are also subtle and subliminal messages coming from the highest offices in the land. For instance, just recently, a telescope was launched into outer space from NASA to look for signs of life on other planets, this costing millions of dollars while thousands are dying daily for want of a little food and clean water. And for years, we have been sending radio signals into space and the hope of receiving a response from intelligent alien life. This program is called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Often scientists are heard on the airwaves saying that there has to be life on other planets given the size of the universe. Even the Roman Catholic Church have recently come out to state that there are alien beings in our outer space, but that they are benign, as they have been created by the same God that created humans. All these feed into the psyche of the human race, and all are designed to prepare the world for the appearance of the gods who are to come. But are such wasteful uses of our country's resources a truth of what is to come? I mean, think about it. The typical claims of the Antichrist suggest that this pattern, and specifically an abuse of power as his main tools, 
Others claim him to be a phenomenal adversary with numerous talents. When you look at Patrick Heron and you consider what he wrote, now I want you to think about A.W. Pink. He wrote that Satan will become incarnate and appear on earth in human form. As we have shown in previous chapters, the Antichrist will not only be the man of sin, but also the son of perdition, seed of the serpent. The Antichrist will be the devil's masterpiece. In him shall dwell all the fullness of the devil bodily. He will be the culmination and consummation of Satan's workings. The world is now taking or talking of and looking for the Superman, and the devil is soon to supply him. The Antichrist will be no ordinary person, but one possessed of extraordinary talents. He will be endowed with superhuman powers, with the one exception of the God-man. He will be the most remarkable personage who has ever appeared upon the stage of human history. A.W. Pink would also characterize the Antichrist's genius into seven categories. Intellectual, oratorical, political, commercial, military, governmental, and as a religious genius. Pink would also discuss the, chapter, the character comparisons between Christ and the Antichrist. One of their similarities would be that of their death and resurrection, Revelation 13.3. There are also claims of signs that will occur signifying the downfall of the Antichrist. In John Bunyan's book, Antichrist and His Ruin, five specific signs are supposed. The first sign is when the church and people of God are driven from all those hiding places God prepared for them in the wilderness. The second sign is that people will begin to see the baseness and abhor their ways. The third sign is Babylon becoming a habitation of devils, the fourth sign is the slaying of witnesses. And finally, the fifth sign is the joy felt by the Antichrist and disciples over the death of the witnesses. It is, it is comforting to know that even among all of these scholarly claims of such a figurehead, there is still not a power greater than that of Jesus Christ. No one will be able to defeat him, and even though many claim a battle of Armageddon, which would be a war of all the world, Revelation sixteen fourteen. And even seeing the effects of such a global, you know, holocaust that it would cause, Revelation 16, 18 through 20, no scholarly writing has been found by myself to suggest a defeat of Jesus. Now let's talk about some synonymous terms and scriptural backing for the Antichrist. The term Antichrist is not the only term that scholars use to describe this horrendous individual. Some suppose him to be the man of sin that Paul wrote about, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, even though Paul does not give specific qualities that many claim the Antichrist will have. Some suggest that this man of sin was not the Antichrist specifically, but a possible warning of another system to come. When the Roman government fell and the emperor moved to Constantinople, it gave way to the rise of the papacy and its hierarchy and priesthood. This is a H.C. Heffron, by the way. Many people interpret the papal power as the man of sin, especially from the time of the Reformation on. But it must be conceded that it is based on similarities and correspondences rather than on actual scripture. Where the Bible is silent, it ill behooves us to fill the vacancy with our assumptions and conjectures. Above all, we dare not ascribe certainty where God has decreed mystery and silence. Others take a hard and fast approach to claiming the man of sin and lawlessness that he was synonymous to the Antichrist. 
There was belief that Nero had many of the features that the man of sin also possessed, but the messianic kingdom did not arrive, nor did Christ come again when Nero died. Other places for the man of sin, they, they place him, the man of lawlessness, in some cosmic opposition that was to come and begin the Great Tribulation. It is known by some scholars that the term Antichrist only occurs in the writings of John. The ISBE wrote the word Antichrist occurs only in 1 John 2, 18, 22, 4-3, and 2 John verse 7. But the idea which the word conveys appears frequently in Scripture. This writing even goes to the Old Testament to prove that there were shades of this figure pre-Christ and concluded, as in the Old Testament, the doctrine concerning Christ was only suggested, this is from ISBE, not developed, so is it with the doctrine of Antichrist. So it is. The word Antichrist only occurs in those passages in John we mentioned a moment ago, but the idea which the word conveys appears frequently in Scripture, that the Messiah should be the divine logos, the only adequate expression of God was merely hinted at, not stated. So Antichrist was exhibited as the opponent of God rather than of his anointed. In the historical books of the Old Testament, we find Belial used as if a personal opponent of Jehovah. Thus the wicked are called in the AV, American version, I believe, or the American Standard Version, sons of Belial, Judges 19.22, Judges 20 and verse 13. Daughter of Belial, 1 Samuel 1.16 and so forth. The revised version translates the expression into an abstract sense, base fellows, wicked woman. In Deuteronomy, or Daniel, excuse me, in Daniel 7, 7 and verse 8, there is the description of the great heathen empire represented by a beast with ten horns. Its full antagonism to God is expressed in a little eleventh horn which had a mouth speaking great things and made war with the saints, verse 8 and 21. Him the Ancient of Days was to destroy, and his kingdom was to be given to a son of man. Similar, but yet differing in many points, is the description of Antiochus Epiphanes in 8, 9 through 12, and 23 through 25. Another term, according to some scholars, that has become synonymous with the Antichrist is the Beast of Revelation 13. Many have claimed this due to the writer of Revelation being John, who also wrote the only other occurrences we possess of the word itself. Listen to what William Barclay said for a second. The beast is the Roman Empire. The seven heads are the seven emperors in whose time Caesar worship became a power in the empire. And he lists some of these powers here. The ten heads are these seven emperors together with the three other rulers whose total reigns lasted for only 18 months in the time of chaos which followed the death of Nero, Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. The head which was wounded and restored to life again symbolizes the Nero Redevius idea. In this picture, the Roman emperor, empire is symbolized by a beast which was like a leopard with a bear's feet and a lion's mouth. Barclay goes on to note how some have taken the mark or number of the beast rev referenced in Revelation 13.8 to be a way to locate who this Antichrist would be. And T.S. Kepler pointed out this type of cleverness used during World War II. He wrote, let A equal 100, so the number A is equal to 100. Let B equal 101, C equal 102, D 103, and so on. Then we can make this addition. H equals 107, 
I equals 108, T equals 119, L equals 111, E 104, and R equals 117, and therefore the sum of Hitler's name numerically is 666. Barclay then surmised that if one were to take Neuron and give it the numerical equivalent, each letter would total up this way. If N equals 50, E equals 6, R equals 500, 0 equals 0, the letter O equals 60, and N 50, he concludes, well, the total is 666 for Neuron. And the name can equally well be spelled out without the final N and still give the number 616. In Hebrew, the letters of Nero Caesar also add up to 666. And Barclay wrote, there is little doubt that the number of the beast stands for Nero, and that John is forecasting the coming of the Antichrist in the form of Nero, the incarnation of all evil, returning to this world. Now, all of the variety of claims that have been made with the synonymous terms, and the scriptures used to back these claims, hold much authority in the scholarly world. And back when the pandemic of 2020 hit, a host of articles, videos, and even sermons were preached and proclaimed, citing that this world was assuredly in the end times and that the Antichrist could not be far behind. The vaccines and other COVID-19 talking points could seemingly find their way back to the subject of premillennialism and the Antichrist. So those are the scholarly viewpoints. But I told you to stick around. I told you to hold on and to wait because now we need to give some scriptural understanding of the Antichrists. And you noticed... I didn't say it in the plural or in the singular sense this whole time I've been doing that, but now we're shifting to a scriptural understanding of the Antichrists, plural. Are these claims true that we've read so far? I mean, anyone can claim just about anything, but without proof, that's all it would ever be, just a claim. Is the modern world to be spiritual insurance agents? sifting through various claims and wondering whether they're accurate or not. Thankfully not. The Lord made it a point to give a divine word that can answer the skeptics, 1 Peter 3.15. He gave us a message that is capable of handling all issues of doctrinal questions, 2 Timothy 4.2. He gave us these scriptures to make it possible for the man of God to be complete, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, in all walks of life. The same is true with the subject of the Antichrist. So I want us to notice as we begin to close the following three points. Number one, John said there were a plurality, a plurality of antichrists. While the claims considered throughout this study have often only focused on one spectacular figure, John says that there are many antichrists, 1 John 2.18. That Greek word is the same as the singular usage John employed, but make no mistake, John did not have an error in his writing. The army of this Antichrist was already swallowing up those in John's day. John would even later say that many deceivers had gone out into the world who were Antichrist, 2 John 7. And though John stated that a singular Antichrist was coming, 2.18, he shows modern man that the typical figurehead that so many believe is not scripturally accurate because there's a plurality. But number two, John also said that antichrists were just those who were against Christ. We mentioned Hollywood earlier in this you know, discussion. Hollywood has tried to make everything fantastical. And in some respects, that is a wonderful way to escape the current troubles. 
that this world presents. Yet when it comes to Scripture, Hollywood tends to over-dramatize to make it more sellable. For example, you might recall the 2014 movie Noah, which was a feature film release on the building of the ark, Genesis 6-8. through There were, of course, several mistakes that could be found, but perhaps the chiefest among them were the giants made of rocks who came to aid Noah in finishing the ark. Perhaps that section is missing from your and my sections of Genesis, or it never happened. And Blockbuster stepped in, Hollywood stepped in, Blockbuster's dead. Hollywood stepped in to make the movie more Blockbuster-worthy. Is there a greater example of this than the Antichrist? As noted earlier, John is the only one that even employs the word Antichrist. So where then is John's writing of the reckoning that this Antichrist would bring? Let me read you the total scriptures here that we've been referencing. Little children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. An antichrist. Well, no mention is made of his prowess as a genius, as A.W. Pink suggested. No mention of his unknown rise to power to destroy this nation from within with a great tribulation as Heron posed. What John instead focused upon was what made one an antichrist. That qualification was simply denying Jesus his authority to deny that he is the Christ, 1 John 2.22, to deny that Jesus came in the flesh, 1 John 4, 3, 2 John 7. And once someone realizes why John was writing this letter that the translators entitled 1 John, then this mindset about Antichrist could be understood. John's letter was one of assurance that one could know the truth on the subject matter of Jesus' coming in the flesh. He gave a fivefold reason throughout the letter that we may have complete joy, 1 John 1 4, that we may combat sin, 1 John 2 1, that we may comfort saints, 1 John 2 12 through 24, that we confront error, 1 John 2 26, and that we convict faith, 1 John 5 13. Those are some points that our minister at Forest Hill, Scott Kane, gave us when we went through the book of 1 John just a few weeks ago on this very subject matter. This epistle was used to refute docetism and Gnosticism. There were a group in John's day called the Gnostics. This group was formed from the Greek word gnosko, and this is a word that means to know experientially. Uh, Basically, to have knowledge about someone or something uh, through observation of the senses. There are many issues with the Gnostic group. Their doctrine became more of a we-know-something-you-don't-know and was furthered by their utter arrogance. This group felt they had a special knowledge that just was not generally known in other congregations. And if one were to believe that knowledge was the key to salvation, he and any doctrine would be Gnostic. There were three main bodies of Gnostics. The Abionites, who denied the deity of Jesus. The Docetists, denied the humanity. 
and the Corinthians taught that Jesus was just an ordinary child of Joseph and Mary, and God put the divine Christ into him at baptism. He then took away this divine being at the crucifixion. Many problems were discussed as a result of Gnosticism. From aestheticism, the punishing of the body, to antinomians, I follow no laws and doesn't affect my spirit, to epicureanism, the, the body is evil and therefore not responsible for its actions, and finally perfectionism, nothing is sin. I can do whatever I want. The consequences, consequences of Gnosticism were greater than their reward. So when John wrote about antichrists that were already active and in the world, can there be any doubt as to whom he was referring? The Gnostics were against the ideology that Jesus came in the flesh. They were against the ideology that taught he lived, died, and rose again. They were against Christ. They were anti-Christ. Number three, the beast of Revelation 13 is not about the Antichrist. Look, it can't be denied that the beast represents something. But the easiest parallel to find is that of Daniel 7, 6, where it says, After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This beast is the embodiment of Daniel's first three. There is no hint in Revelation that the saints should resist the cruel power of this monster, but rather that they should submit, submit to it, even unto death. Revelation 13.10 This beast would be stated as the greatest thing to ever exist. Revelation 13.4 And Rome at one time was thought to be unbeatable. In rendering homage to the emperor of Rome, the world was worshiping him who had given his authority to the Roman power. Satan worked through Rome to have this type of influence, John 13, 5 through 9, and John was warning about this upcoming threat to Christianity, John 13, 10. A second beast is also mentioned, which to the people of John's day would have represented paganism, Revelation 13, 11. Three forces would unite and fight against the church in Christ, the Roman Empire, emperor worship, and worldliness and lust. Finally, John concludes with this. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. This merely indicates that the message is an expression of divine wisdom. It is possible. It is possible to understand what the seer is saying by the application of the Christian's wisdom. The number 666 doesn't represent an individual as Nero, Domitian, or others. It represents the sum of that which is human. Man was created on the sixth day. Seven is perfection, so six is imperfection. It could be read as, this is the number of man, because there is no A in Greek. It represented the completeness of doom and failure. The number of the beast stands for the complete and total failure of all human systems and efforts antagonistic to God and to his Christ. All are doomed to ultimate and complete defeat and failure. In conclusion, the Antichrist will seemingly always be a battle that the Christian needs to be prepared to face. This is surely a sign of the times you'll hear. How often will you hear it over your lifetime? How often will someone consider the numerical amount of some leader's name to prove that it totals to 666? Where will the Antichrist finally be found? They can be found all over the world. 
All one has to do is simply read what John wrote and understand there's no boogeyman, no monster hiding under the bed or in the closet. It's just plain arrogance and Gnosticism that lives through the moniker of Antichrist. May the hearts of mankind be softened to the truth that Jesus came in the flesh. He died on the cross. John 1, 1 through 3, John 19, 30. He rose from the dead, John 21 through 10. And he's coming again, 2 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 3, and verse 10. That's how the church can defeat the Antichrists. I know this was a longer episode. I hope it's been beneficial to you as it was to me. I'll gladly make this paper available for anybody that might want it. Uh, you can email me in the show notes. Our email is listed. It's the Scatter the Broad Network at gmail.com. Season five is in the books. It is hard to believe that we're coming up on season six this August, and we do have some summer content that'll be coming out, other things that'll be made available to you. Uh, Don't forget about checking in on our other shows that maybe you have missed this past season. Uh, I know if you're like I am, uh, as many shows as Scattered Abroad has, sometimes it's not as easy to catch all of them on the day that they come out, and so the summer is a good chance for you to catch up what you missed But Lord willing, this August, we'll be back with Season 6. And I don't really know yet what we're going to talk about. I haven't made up my mind. haven't really decided. Uh, We'll see when we get there. But until then, let's please God now so our eternity is far better.